Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. I know that we, we all, in some degree or another, we get to know each other as time progresses. Um, some of us, we know each other better than others. And, um, and as time progresses, we, we learn about different, I guess, like little habits or different things about different people. Uh, the, the person that knows me the best in this room is Jen. Um, some of you know that I've known Jen since she was 12 and I was 15. Um, so we, she's known me before Jesus. Um, so she believed in God also more afterwards because she was like, there had to be a God to change Carlos. <laughs> so, uh, so she knew me before I knew Jesus and she's known me through the journey. And of course, we've been married 21 years. It's a long time um, being married too. But there's little habits and things uh, that you might not know that we know that we have. Um, I'm going to share one of them with you. Um, I know we mentioned about the wings. I'm I'm always, in one degree or another, hungry or thirsty, <laughs> like, like to a certain degree, um, especially thirsty. I'm, I'm usually always thirsty. If I'll give you an example. Um, every time I go to bed, you better believe I'm bringing something to drink on my night table, 100%. Anyone? You, you take something with you to drink? Every, and sometimes I forget to take down what I brought up the day before, uh, maybe the day before that day too. Uh, so sometimes I have like a little stash there of water bottles, seltzer water, uh, Sprite. I have a couple. And then Jen looks over and just nods her head. It's like, why you have so many different things to drink on the side of the night table? And it's because I might get thirsty. Like, you know, I might wake up like at three in the morning. Tengo sed. You know, I don't want to go all the way down to the kitchen to get something to drink. And then sometimes uh, I always love to go to the kitchen and find whatever snacks I could find and bring it up. Sometimes I'm a good husband and I share with my wife as well, but I bring my own little stash. I'm like there eating popcorn in bed. And Jen is like, look, he's like, what are you eating now? I, I love to eat. Anyone here loves to eat too? Chicken wings and different things. Uh, I love to eat and I'm uh, thirsty. For those, for those of you that uh, like, you, ha- you know that we have a staff at the church. We, we talk about Jesus all the time, uh, but we also talk about food a lot because we're always hungry. It's like, what are we going to eat today? Like, let's eat something. So we, we love to eat. We love to eat. And um, anyone else here too? For most, most part, always hungry and thirsty. Um, definitely, I see a couple of hands up there too. But it goes along with one of the main key, well, the key verse that I'm going to um, share in, in a couple moments. Many of you know that the theme of this year for church is the way. It's the way. Uh, the world has many different ways that you could walk on or paths you could take, but there's only one way. There's only one way that we get to walk in, and that way, if we walk in it, we'll 
um, transform us from the inside out and completely change our life. So we've been diving into the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes pretty much are eight truths that Jesus shared during a teaching. And for you, if you're taking notes and for you to read um, them as well, you could go to Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 10. That's all of the Beatitudes, like that for you to know. But a lot of people don't realize that there's four Beatitudes highlighted in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 6, verses 20 to 22. Four of them are highlighted. They're pretty much identical almost to four of them already highlighted in the book of Matthew. But we're concentrating our time in the book of Matthew. So the key verse today is Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And it says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not for popcorn, uh, not for buñuelos, um, for uh, righteousness. For they will be filled. So that's the key verse. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And what we're going to do, we're going to highlight the word blessed, blessed, hunger and thirst, and then afterwards righteousness. We're going to break it down like that a little bit. We'll start off with blessed. Now, many of us know, and you've heard too, like through this time, blessed means happy. Uh, pretty much like you're happy when you're blessed, and who isn't happy when they're blessed? Uh, but that word has such a deep meaning because that word means it go it pretty much the root word points at just the fact that when you're blessed, you're choosing to walk in the way, the spiritual way that God has set before you. So when you're blessed, it's a spiritual position that you choose to walk in so that you would be in that journey, in that path that God wants you to be on. And why is it important? It's because when you choose to walk in the way, that's when God's blessings are going to be poured on you. His favor is going to be on your life. His grace is going to be on your life. And in addition to that, it has pretty much a connotation too of extending territory. Like God would expand the territory of what he has for your life as you walk in this path. So think about that. God's blessings, favor, grace, extending territory and provision. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend one day of my life without God's grace, without God's favor, without God's blessings, without his provision, without him leading the way in my life. And here we have a choice. So you need to, we all need to realize that if we choose to walk in the way, we position ourselves spiritually to be under this God's blessings, his favor, his grace, his provision, and for him to extend um, the territory that he has for your life. So how many of you want that for your life? I, I know I want it every single day of my life. So that's the word blessed. Now, I'm going to read a couple key verses. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 28 in the New King um, James Version. Um, it says this. It says, I might, oh, 
Okay, here it says, I'm going to read it, NIV. That it says, in the way of righteousness, there is life. Along the path is immorality. And I'm going to read, um, there is um, immorality. I'm going to read the New King James Version. It says this, in the way of righteousness is life, and in its pathway, there's no death. So when you choose to walk in the way of righteousness, there is life and there's no death. Um, in Psalm 23, verse 3, I'm, I'm going to read it um, from the King James Version. I, I know I, I think I gave you guys the NIV. The, the New King James Version says this, He leads me in the paths of righteousness. So Psalm 23 is a psalm that we've heard, we've probably read so many times, but we might miss that, that it says that God leads us in the paths of righteousness. So what is the, th this path that God wants us to be in? So as we move on, we talked about being blessed. Now we're going to talk about hunger and thirst. Now, something we need to realize is that everybody's hungry and thirsty. Everybody is hungry and thirsty for something. Um, some of you might not be, let's say, uh, physically hungry and thirsty at this moment, but we're hungry and thirsty for something. And what, what I'm referring to is what has your attention? What has your affection? What has you distracted from God and you're chasing after these other things? You're hungering and thirsting for something and many times it's not what God has for you. And if you look deep into your heart and your life, if you're honest with yourself, there's a lot of things competing with God in our lives, or at least trying to compete. And if we're not careful, we start to hunger and thirst after these things, or it could be people, it could be things, it could be power, it could be money, it could be career, it could be relationships we're not supposed to have. It could be so many different things that might grab our attention and we start hungering and thirsting after those things instead of hungering and thirsting after God. And we see that clearly um, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, here with Eve. It says, speaking of Eve, it says this, uh, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. Everybody say, good for food. And pleasing to the eye. Say, pleasing to the eye. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. Say, desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband. Why did she give some to her husband too? Why, why? Um, either way, we were in trouble, but you know, she gave some to her husband too. So who was, who was with her and he ate it. Now, here like we, we clearly see uh, Eve like pretty much eating a fruit. And so many times we, we say it was an apple. Nowhere in the Bible says an apple. It says it's a fruit. Um, but eating a fruit, now this is a woman and a man, uh, you know, like Adam, that walked with God. Like, you know, we, we talk about having a close relationship with God and being God's presence. You can't get anything better than what Adam and Eve had before the fall. They walked 
with God, saw God face to face, dwell in his presence all of the time. Like you can't get anything better than that until you get distracted. So here you have Eve. Eve got distracted by the fruit and got tempted to put attention and affection to the very thing that God told her not to do. And even though Eve and Adam walked with God, you could say every day, um, you could say, it just took a moment. It just took a moment of taking your eyes from being fixed on God to fixed on anything else that's not God to get them to be distracted and steered away. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, it says this. It says, John said, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, say lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes, say lust of the eyes. And the pride of life, say pride of life, comes not from the Father, but comes from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, it's interesting how John says the lust of the flesh, like what your flesh wants. Like I know in the beginning I talked about being hungry for food. And I know maybe some of us are hungry for food. Uh, at this moment, who knows? You're probably dreaming about bandeja paisas at this moment. Uh, but don't be thinking about those things. But our flesh it sometimes, of course, wants things that God doesn't have for us. So here it says, lust of the flesh. And remember what Eve said, the fruit was good for food. This is the fruit God told her that she can't have. But the lust of the flesh was taking over and was looking at the fruit. And all of a sudden, it's, it wanted the fruit. It was good for food. Now, John also said the lust of the eyes. Something that Eve said was that the fruit was pleasing to the eyes. So all of a sudden, his, uh, Eve's eyes were so fixed on the fruit she was mesmerized on how pleasing it is. Instead of being fixed on God, she was fixed on the fruit. And then lastly, John says in 1 John 2, 15 to 17, he said, the pride of life for everything in the world, the pride of life, remember what else Eve saw. She said it was desirable for gaining wisdom, for gaining wisdom. So there you could see that she wanted to gain wisdom for prideful reasons. It's like, if you have God with you, you have the source of all wisdom. You don't need to gain wisdom from any other location. So she was trying to manufacture her own wisdom by having the fruit. So she saw it as desirable. So here you see Eve highlighting these Three, there's three statements highlighting Eve and her experience. And you see John highlighting the three statements and they coincide together. Eve walked with God 
every day, but she got distracted. It's crazy how we could walk with God pretty much on Sunday morning and be in tune, paying attention to him, wanting to express to him our love, our faithfulness, declare that he's the Lord of our lives. But then sometimes for some of us, once Monday morning comes and the rest of the week starts to unfold, our eyes start to look elsewhere. We get distracted. Our attention is divided. We start looking at the things of the world, thinking that the things of the world are the most important things because the world tells you that success is important, career is important, money's important, material things is important, relationships pretty much like do whatever you want type of relationships is important. They'll literally paint the picture of a way that you can live your life But God reminds us that there's only one way. There's only one path to walk in, and it's following God. And he highlights this in the Beatitudes, but we could easily get distracted. It's amazing with Eve and uh, Adam and Eve that one distraction led to death. One distraction led to death. And that's so true for each and every one of us too. If we're not careful and we allow ourselves to get distracted by things of this world, it could lead to death. It could destroy our own life, our own walk with God. It could destroy the dreams that God has for our lives. It could destroy our relationships. It could destroy our marriage. It could destroy our church. It could destroy so many different aspects in our lives if we're not careful by just one distraction. I mean, when you think about it, think of it even from a physical standpoint of driving a car. If you're driving a car and you're on the parkway, I know that when someone texts you, you get tempted to pick up your phone and see that text. We'll keep it real, right? You got tempted, right? And then all of a sudden, some of us, we glance down, and besides getting tempted of seeing the text, we get tempted to reply to the text. Some of us, we're going to keep it like, try to do it like you, you, you find a compromise. You respond like K, just the letter K. You're not saying too much. But some of us are driving. Be like, oye, pero la cosa es que estoy aquí. You know, like I'm here and you're trying to do this. And it takes a second, a glance of not paying attention to get into an accident. I remember years back when I first started to drive just about like eight years ago, because I'm, wait, uh I forgot my age, but I'm in my 20s, right? So when I first started to drive, when I first started to drive, I remember I was on 78 and I was driving down 78 and I was getting off that hillside in Irvington exit in 78, you know which one I'm talking about, right? Um, and all of a sudden I got distracted because there was an accident on the side of the road, right? (laughs) There was an accident on the side of the road, but I got distracted because I thought I knew the person that was in the accident. Um, so I'm looking over thinking it's like, they might need help, you know, like, or whatever it is. And like, I was like maybe 18, 19 years old, got distracted and I didn't notice 
that the line to get out in Hillside and Irvington started to build up. The cars started to build up. So when I glanced to the front, se me salió todo mi corazón. Like when I saw those cars, I literally grabbed my steering wheel and I pulled it all the way to the left because I knew that I was going to hit something. And sure enough, I did hit something. I hit the car that I nipped the car. I almost cleared it. I almost got out of it. I almost cleared it. But I hit the bumper uh, from the car that was in front of me. I caught the corner when I was cutting the wheel, but I got into a small accident. I learned the big lesson there that it takes a second of being distracted. Now, think of, we could easily understand that's from a physical standpoint. What about spiritually? Like physically, we could easily say how there's consequences. And spiritually, distractions devastate us from a spiritual standpoint. And what, what's crazy is sometimes our distraction is so deep that we don't know what reality is anymore. Our distraction becomes our world and reality looks like the different part, like it doesn't make sense. The distraction overwhelms us so much that we're so deep into it that we can't see what's right and what's wrong because of where we're at. And we start living that way, thinking that it's okay, but spiritually speaking, you're in a desert. Spiritually speaking, you're walking in circles. You're lost. You don't know what steps to take. You have no orientation. You feel completely lost. You're completely confused. You don't know what steps to take in your life or what to do or where to go. And probably other people around you might see it, but you might not see it yourself because you're so lost in the distraction. Now, for all of us, it's a wake-up call because it can happen to any of us. So the moment you think it can't happen to you, you better, like, that's prideful if you think it can't happen to you. It can happen to each and every one of us. It's one of those things you have to evaluate your life every single day. It makes me think uh, you better check yourself or you wreck yourself. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, you literally get into a spiritual accident. So I have a question. What is distracting you today? What's distracting you? You know that God wants you to have a deep relationship with him. You know that God wants you to want his presence more than anything else. You know that God has a plan for your life. He wants to guide you and lead you into the fullness of what he has. But if we're distracted and we're not fixing our eyes on God, we're not able to see it. So what is distracting you today? What is your flesh craving? What is your eyes lusting after? What, what is any pride that might be inside of your heart? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, it says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So whatever you consider a treasure, and let me tell you, you're, you, could say, you could say God's your treasure. You could say your family's your treasure. You could say all these things. Actions speak louder than words. So you could say God's your treasure all you want. But if during the week 
Your actions say your job is your treasure, your career is your um, treasure, a relationship is your treasure, or whatever it may be. It could be good things too, is your treasure. And that's where your heart will be too. And I want my heart to be in God's hands always. So my treasure is God. There's no greater honor, no greater privilege to know God to be known by him and to live for him. There's nothing that the world could offer me, nothing they could dangle in front of my face that would ever, ever be equivalent to what, or even come close to what God has for my life, for your life at all. So we need to realize that God has to stay as our treasure and how beautiful it is to know that if he's your treasure, your heart is there also. So if God's my treasure, my heart, My physical heart is here, but my spiritual heart is in God's hands at this very moment. God's heart, he has my heart. He has my heart. I've given him my heart. He has my heart. And each of us, that's a choice that we get to make. Also, I want to highlight Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. It says this, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So right here, it's clearly saying you have a choice. You have a choice. I'm not saying that you, you just think about heavenly things all the time. You don't, you don't think about earthly things. You know, you, you got to make decisions and live this life. This is talking about what's grabbing your heart's attention and affection. You know what I mean? Let it be all spiritual things, God's spiritual things completely. Um, don't let the world grab your attention and affection, whatever they try to dangle in front of you because we have blue one, but, you know, I know it tastes the same, but I like the pink one a little more. So I love cotton candy, but you know cotton candy has no substance, has flavor, little taste, but then all of a sudden it like disappears. That's whatever the world is offering you is like that. It's like cotton candy. You feel like it has a taste and you might be attracted to it a little bit, but has no substance at all. Anything worth running after with substance comes from, from the hand of God and God alone. Um, something uh, I know I read to you from J- Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. It says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. The King James Version says this, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. I also love the word affection because it's not just your mind, what you think about, your affection, your emotions. Let your emotions be about the things above from heavenly things, not the things of this earth. Um, something that I love is what King David says in Psalm 63. We're going to read it, verse 1 through 5. But before we read it, I want you to realize that King David, uh, David is in the desert now. He's in the desert, uh, in Psalm 63. He's in the desert. He's physically in a desert. And something, if you read the book of Psalms, you'll see often that David preaches to himself. I really believe that that's a habit we have to develop in our lives. I don't know if you've ever preached to yourself. I preach to myself often. You know, Carlos, you better start like, you better surrender that to God. Why are you thinking about like, like getting distracted anyway? Give that to God. Like whatever it is, it, it could be someone that's um, bothering you, someone that's um, causing, um, like, you know what I mean, like steering you in the wrong way, whatever it is, you surrender it to God. But here, King, King David, through scripture, he often preaches to himself. 
like, like pretty much saying like, you know, why are you so downcast my soul? Like, you know what I mean? Praise the Lord. Like, give your heart to God. And a lot of times we need to realize our emotions a lot of times are deceiving. And we allow our this emotions to lead the way instead of God's word. So you might be feeling sadness. You might be feeling depression. You might be feeling so many other um, anxiety. You might, there's so many things you might be feeling. And of course, what you're feeling is legitimate because you're feeling those things. But at the same time, as a believer, you want God's truth to always steer you in the path, not your emotions, how you're feeling. So I could easily picture King David being in the desert here in Psalm 63. And who knows what he's going through physically? Who knows how, if he's thirsty physically? Maybe he's hungry thir- um, as well. And he says this in Psalm 63, verses one through five. He says, you, God, are my God. So he's declaring, you are my God. He says, earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. Mind you, he's in a desert while he's writing this. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, So even though, I'm going to pause there, even though there's no water where he's at, and he's probably thirsty, wishing that there was a 7-Eleven to buy a big gulp at, like, you know, he's thirsty as can be. He's like, you know what? It doesn't matter what my physical body is asking for. My thirst is you, God. I'm going to put you above everything else. So he says, he says, he says, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. It's like David reminding his lips, this is what you need to do. I will praise you as long as I I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the riches of Um, foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. And what I love about um, David here too, is that he says, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. So he's reminding himself that he's seen God move. He's seen God do miracles in his life. He knows God's power. And sometimes we're in situations in our lives that we need to remind ourselves what God has done for us in the past. Because God hasn't changed and God is still all powerful and God could still do miracles, but we have to remind ourselves what he did in the past. Remind ourselves when he took us out through a situation. Remind um, ourselves how he took us out of certain situations. Remind us how he's delivered us from certain chains, remind us how he's healed our broken heart, remind us ourselves how he's pretty much torn down strongholds and mindsets that don't belong, remind us how he steered us in the right um, direction, remind ourselves how he set our, our hearts on fire in the past. Remember when you were on fire in the past for some of us, And you might wonder, it's like, what happened to that flame? We have to remember where we were 
know that he could set you on fire for him today as well. So without question, we hunger and thirst, but we need to hunger and thirst for God. But as we read in Matthew 5, verse 6, there's a specific word that's highlighted there to hunger and thirst after. It said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So we probably have, like, we might think, um, we're talking about thirst. I was like, I'm a little thirsty right now. We probably think about this word righteousness, but I, I want to let you know that it appears in the Bible 540 times. The word righteous, righteousness appears in the Bible 540 times. So a lot of times when you study the Bible, you try to see themes, like big themes. It's a huge theme. And just put it in perspective, The word righteous and righteousness 540 times. The word faith is about 340. So the word righteous and righteousness is seen more through the Bible than even the word faith. So here, one of the things um, for us to understand in the simplest terms of what the word righteousness means is going to be behind me now. It says righteousness is behavior that is just and right in the eyes of God. Righteousness is behavior that is just and right in the eyes of God. So that's in the simplest terms. Now, I mentioned it's mentioned about 540 times in the Bible. There's no way in the world in one teaching we're able to break down Everything that righteousness means, but how many of you guys want to go a little deeper? A little deeper? A little? Okay, no say the wait a minute. A little deeper. A little deeper. Okay, um, here, righteousness, I want you to know righteousness is a person, is a gift, and a transformation. Righteousness is a person, a gift and a transformation. Now you complete it. Righteousness is a... (laughs) Pastor Harold, uh, I think you got a little mixed up. All right. I just heard you say person twice. I was like, your voice like, it's like person. He's a person. I was like, he's a person again. I was like, oh, person once. He's a person. He's a gift and transformation. Okay. So like that, we could remember it. Now, we'll start off with the first one. Righteousness is a person. Righteousness is a person. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, it says this about Jesus. He committed no sin. Think about that. No sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. So if you ever want an example of righteousness or someone that's righteous, all you got to do is look at Jesus because he is righteousness. Like his life is righteousness. The same way you say God is love, God is righteous. Uh, Righteousness is a person as if, let's say Jesus was standing right here. We could look at him saying, you know, Jesus is love. Jesus is righteousness. Uh, Like righteousness is a person. 
There's no better example than God and to look at his life. And that's for us to understand he's a person. And through scripture, you could see that, of course. The second major point is this. Righteousness is a gift. Is a gift. Um, who doesn't like to receive gifts? We all like to receive gifts, right? Something I forgot to mention. I, I know we sang happy birthday to all the December and January babies. Why don't we clap it up again for December, January babies? Something I forgot to mention that um, it's still time to give December, January babies uh, gifts if you want to. You know what I mean? Like, you can give us a little gift. No, I'm joking. Um, I know January is almost over, but we all love in one way or another to receive little gifts. Um, but we need to realize righteousness is a gift. In Romans 3.22, it says this. The righteousness is given. This righteousness is given it's because it's a gift through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. So here we know this righteousness is given. It's a gift as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here we see that because of what Jesus did, Jesus died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sin. We deserve death for our sin. He paid the price for our sin. And because of what he did, when we believe in him and surrender and declare him the Lord of our lives, we pretty much receive as a gift his righteousness. Now, remember I said before, righteousness is a person. So what we would see him as a person, that's what Father God sees us when we receive it as a gift. And that is why, because of believing in the sacrifice that Jesus made and giving our heart to Jesus, we're able to step into God's presence that's why we're able to enter, enter heaven because of the sacrifice that Jesus made and because we are righteous because of what Jesus did and we're able to stand before God. Not based on anything that we did because there's nothing that we could do to earn heaven. A lot of people think that we could be good enough to um, go to heaven. Good enough compared to who? I've talked to so many people and I was like, well, how do you get to heaven? Like we, the topic comes up. They're like, well, you just have to be a good person. Good person compared to who? Compared to like your wife, your, you know, like to or whatever. And then usually they say, well, a good person compared to a criminal or someone that's like evil. And then it's like, you've not, never done anything wrong or I haven't. Of course, we've all, we've all sinned. We've all missed the mark. And like, you know, none of us are perfect. So we need the righteousness of God. And how beautiful it is that all you have to do is believe in faith to receive it. Because it's a gift that we're able to have. Um, lastly, remember I said righteousness is a person. Righteousness is a gift. Lastly, this last one. It's funny because we, we understand, especially in church, we understand righteousness as a person. You might be like, all right, that's cool. I get that. I can celebrate that. We could say righteousness is a gift. You're like, 
Carlos, that's cool. I get that. I can celebrate that. The next one is one that some, some or most Christians don't love too much, is righteousness is transform, a transformation. Righteousness is a transformation. In Proverbs 15, verse 9, it says this, The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. So here, some of us, were, some of us overcomplicate what it is to follow God. Like, so, so, a lot of times people are like, I just want to know his will. I just want to know what he wants me to do in my life. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to read it again. It says, he loves those who pursue righteousness. So for those of you that make the decision to want to walk in the way, the way, the path that he's laid out, and pursue righteousness, which we know it's a person already, it's a person, and pursue righteousness, we know it's a gift. We have to receive that gift. And pursue righteousness is a transformation. It's a process that he wants to transform you from the inside out. He wants to change your life. What you were before him and after him shouldn't be the same. Every single day when people see your life, they should see God more and more in your life. Not because of anything that you're doing in the sense, it's more the surrender that you're doing from the depths of your heart, allowing you, God to do the deepest work within you just surrendering to God. It's like something like even recently, I like, I, like I'm doing it more and more. Every single morning, I start off my morning just declaring that he's the Lord of my life. Obviously he is, and I live, live it out like, you know, like to be obedient to, his, uh, to, to him. But for some reason, I just love starting off my day like that. I just wake up in the morning. I say, you know, I say, God, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. I love you. I praise you. I'm going to surrender this day to you. I'm going to walk in the path that you've set before me. Like I just declare it before I even do anything else to set the course straight. It's like, I'm not going to get distracted and get all these different paths the world is offering. No, no, I'm going to make it clear with my first breaths in the morning when I wake up. I'm making it, God, I'm walking in that way. And during the day, there's going to be a lot of distractions, a lot of talking, a lot of noise, a lot of things dangled in front of me. But I'm going to walk in that way. I'm going to declare it. I'm going to declare it. It's going to be the way I'm going to walk. It's the way I'm going to talk. It's the way I'm going to live. And I'm going to make it clear. And when I declare it in the morning, it's me preaching to myself. It's me preaching to myself. Be like, Carlos, I know you're a little tired today. This morning, you got, but listen to the Bible. You got to read the Bible. You know, you got to pray. I'm preaching to myself. This is how this day is going to go. I'm not going to let the world or time dictate how my day is going to unfold. I'm going to tell my day how it's going to unfold. And the way it's going to unfold is going to live for God. And I'm going to declare and I'm going to live it that way. And if anything comes along the way that doesn't fall in line, it literally better move out of the way or it's going to get trampled upon as I try to do God's will. A long time ago, I remembered this illustration and I'll never forget it. I wasn't planning to share it is the rhino. Um, it's a rhino uh, illustration. I don't know if you know, but rhinos have horrible vision. Horrible. 
They can't see They can't see that good. They could probably see like 30 feet in front of them. That's it. But what's crazy is that they run really fast. So they run almost faster than what the distance they're able to see at. But they're not worried. Why are they not worried? They're not worried because they know that whatever's in the way better move out of the way. All right? You better move out of the way. Because if you stay in the way, you're going to get trampled on by the rhino. So that's the way I believe, as a believer, you need to live your life. You declare you're walking with God. You pursue it as a rhino. You might not see everything. You might not understand everything. There's circumstances happening in your life right now that don't make sense. Maybe they're troublesome. Maybe they're hard. They're difficult. You, you feel burdens. You're, you're broken and hurt. But all you know as a rhino, spiritual rhino, you're running full speed after God in the way that he set across. And whatever the world, the world better move out of the way. <laughs> whatever temptation better move out of the way. Whatever problem, circumstance, you better just move out of the way. Because if you stay in the way with God's strength in Jesus' name, you're going to be knocked through. We're going to knock you out there because we're going to pursue what God has for our life. So here we need to realize that we have that obligation. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, it says this. It says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue, what's the key word of today? Righteousness. And then it also says, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So the truth is that as Christians and most Christians, most Christians walk with God on Sunday morning to dilute what it means to be a Christian or a believer. Um, because diluting what it means to be a Christian and a believer is convenient for us because we want to walk one way with the world and still have our part with God. And you can't do that. So you can't pick and choose what type of aspect of God or in the Bible you want, but still have your play with the world. Uh, like you have to decide what path you're going to take. Um, something Jen and I love to do, we don't do it as often as we do, um, but we love going hiking. And um, hiking is fun, um, pretty much especially in the past we used to always bring our dogs and we, we would let our dogs loose running through. And as you know, when you go hiking, there's a lot of different paths and trails you could take and everything like that. But there might be a lot of paths and trails, but you have to decide what path you're going to be on. Like, you can, I can't tell Jen, be like, yo, Jen, like, you know, like, I want to take that path and I want to take this path at the same time. It doesn't make sense. You can't take two different paths at the same time. There's no way. You have to decide exactly what path to take. And I don't know if you've been trying to take a couple different paths at the same time. I'm going to give you the bottom line. Do you want the bottom line? Bottom line, aquí. Este es el final. El bottom linecito. Aquí, okay? First John chapter 3, verses 7 through 10 what we're going to read now, and I, this is a, I love highlighting this. This is written to believers, okay? This is li written to the church. This isn't written to the world and the church. 
This is for anyone that says that Jesus is the Lord of their life, okay? So if you say Jesus is the Lord of your life, John wrote this for you, okay? So he says this. He says, dear children, do not let anyone steer you, lead you astray. He says, the one that does what is right is, it's the key word, righteous. It says, just as he is righteous, referring to Jesus, the person that's righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Now, something I want to highlight there, it doesn't mean that you don't sin. None of us are perfect. We all sin every day. But there's a difference when you choose to willfully sin and have a pattern of sin, not asking God for for forgiveness and repenting and changing your ways. There's a big difference. So here it's pretty much saying you can't continue sinning in that pattern and pretending it's okay, you know, and still say pretty much that you're from God. So here it says, the one that does what is sinful of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy, destroy the devil's work. No one who's born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right, like pretty much walk in righteousness, is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. You, you wanted the bottom line, right? So here John pretty much took off his uh, gloves, and he's like, this is like knuckle fighting now. This is like, I'm going to hit hard, and I'm going to make it known. He's pretty much saying, look, You either walk in the way of righteousness, and that's how people know that you're a child of God. And if you don't walk in the way of righteousness, then you're a child of the devil. That's straight up what he said. There's no two paths, like there's no like options here. There's only two paths to pick from, God's path or the devil's path. You choose which one. You can't do both. Um, I remember recently I was at a school, and um, I was at a school, and someone stopped me, and it was like, I wasn't expecting it. Uh, someone stopped me and he was like, hey, Carlos, you're here. Uh, I have a question for you. And then they pulled someone, they, they pull, pull someone over too. And they brought, they, they, they came to me and they were like, she has a, pr- uh, a question. Are we all children of God? Like this, this was like, like just in passing, I was like, oh man. Uh, like how am I going to break this down to her? Like I don't got too much time. I got like 30 seconds because <laughs> I had to leave. I was like, I have bad news. We're not all children of God. I told her, it's like, we're all God's creation, but you choose who your father will be. You choose if God's your father or the devil's your father. And depending on your actions and the path you are in, your actions will say who your dad is. And don't tell me that God's your dad, uh, that he's your father, but yet your actions look just like the devil's actions, living in evil. You can't. You're, you... People have to be able to look at your life 
and say, he's like his dad. She's like his, uh, her dad. They, none of us are perfect, but there has to be a clear distinction with the people that walk in the way. You know how we said in the beginning, if you walk in the way, a clear distinction. Matthew chapter 5, verses 6, how we said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Filled with God's presence. Some of you know I love to always see the opposite of the verse to try to better understand the verse. And the opposite of it is cursed are those who don't hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will not be filled with God's presence. And I don't think of anything else that could be scarier um, than that. Now, righteousness is a choice. You choose to know the person of righteousness. Righteousness is a gift. You choose to receive the gift. And righteousness is a transformation. You choose to walk in the way. If everyone now could just bow their heads, I want you to reflect on your life right now. I want you to think about your life and where you're walking at this moment. None of us are perfect, but you know very well if your heart and your mind is distracted and other things have your attention, other things are competing with the place that God deserves and God deserves alone in your life. You know best than anyone else and you need to realize that you need to make a decision. You can't go on pretending it's okay when you know deep in your soul that it's not. The reality is life is short. Tomorrow's not promised for any of us. And we need to realize that God wants our entire heart. God wants our entire life. He's not going to settle for a portion of it. He's not going to settle for 50%, 75%, 95%. You might be sitting here and telling me, it's like, Carlos, but he has 99% of my heart. That's not enough. It's not enough. He wants it all. Nothing should compete. Nothing, nothing should be over God. God number one. God number one over your family. God number one over your spouse. God number one over your children. God number one over your career. God number one over your dreams, your ambitions. God, God number one over your goals. God number one over anything else that your heart and mind has set after. God has to be your soul desire that from the depths of your soul, you're hungering and thirsting after God. And you might be saying, it's, it, maybe in your heart, it's like, well, I don't feel like I am. Declare it. Declare it in faith. Be like, God, I hunger and thirst over you. I want your righteousness in my life. I want to be filled with your presence. I want to be saturated in your presence like never before. Some of us have walked with God for such a long time that we've fallen into a place of being comfortable. Don't be comfortable with God. Pursue after God every single day as if it's the last day you're going to live, wanting God more than ever before, before you see him face to face. 
There's no greater honor. There's no greater privilege. There's no greater treasure than to know God and to live for God. There's nothing greater. And if the enemy has whispered to you to make you believe that something else out there is greater than walking in the path of righteousness, than receiving the gift of righteousness, and also to know the person that's righteousness, you've believed in the lie. Even now, if you just want to surrender everything as we close in prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as we close in prayer. And as you stand, it's a declaration that you're giving God your all. You're drawing the line on the sand. And let him know as, you, as your eyes are closed and just that you're giving him everything. You're tired of playing games. You're tired of give, having one foot in the world and one foot trying to chase after him. Do you realize that he loves you so much that he died for us. Father God, I thank you so for this day, and we all thank you for this day. We come before you, God, because we want to get to know you more, Lord God. You are righteousness. Help us get to know you more. God, we realize that you've given us the gift of righteousness. And right now, from our hearts, we surrender our hearts to you. We declare that you're the Lord of our life. We, we believe in you, that you died on the cross and you resurrected and that you could transform us from the inside out, God. Because we also realize that righteousness is transformation, is a transformation. So God, we give you permission to go to the deepest parts of our hearts, take away anything that doesn't belong, destroy any wall, any sin, anything that shouldn't be there. We give you permission to transform us from the inside out. We choose to walk in the path of righteousness, God, every day, God, and let us declare it and live it for the rest of our lives in Jesus' name because we know that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We will be filled with your presence even at this moment. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen, amen. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.